0: So we're in the sermon series during the Advent season, uh, entitled Ancient Births Fulfilled, the birth of a legacy of Isaac's birth, that is, today, to crush Satan's head. That's my add-on. But let me start us this way. According to the great sociologist Peter Berger, socialization is the sum product of both social ideation and social materialization. The two forces are said to never be separate, albeit to retain their own distinct but separate properties, again, in dialectical relationship together. Did that work for you? Uh Uh-huh, I didn't think so. Okay, so let me say it a different way. You and I, all together in a society, are the sum total of a long legacy of outward circumstances and inward thoughts and they make us who we are and more to Berger's point although the two forces are never to be separated they are always distinct and therefore they have this relationship together wherein one determines and impacts the other all at the same time that's what he means by a dialectical relationship Stated yet more plainly still, we are in many ways the sum of a long story, a story of events and ideas always interreacting to one another, and that's who we are. Now, that's the modern way to talk about it, isn't it? We hear a lot about narrative. We hear a lot about story. Your story is now not just one story but the legacy of many stories that inform who you are, stories that pass down from generation to generation material systemic realities and structures in your life and in our world and ideological realities that make us or me or you who we are. You could say perhaps hundreds, no, even thousands of years of ideal, material interactions. And no, while you might hear me now going into the current political and uh, issues with this language, because it's, it, it, it would be a wonderful conversation to do so in the way in which those twos are pitted to, get, pitted to get against each other often, but that's not my point, just in case you were going there. You see, this is a segue, a segue to the sermon that you've been looking for in this whole gulamagok stuff that I've been saying. This is your story, if you've understood anything about socialization theory. Or maybe, and I'll get to that. Think about it, your identity, your lens through which you view the world, your decisions, your actions, all determined by your story. And I use the word determined. Are we nothing but the sum of socialization? Are we nothing but the sum of my story, my the legacy that results in me from generations passed down? What if? What if there was an even bigger, more powerful story that intervenes in our human story or legacy? What if this divine intervention superimposed upon the story, then your story forever becomes what? A new story, even if never to annul your human story, but to transform it in a manner that results in different ideations and materializations, thoughts, and actions. And if so, then I'd like to recommend a new title to the sermon today. The new title is, well, The Biggest Story Ever Told. Now that leads me to some of you children here and in the Zoom world, this is where you might want to listen because if you want the short and skinny of this sermon, right now I'm going to give it to you. Here it is, as told by Kevin DeYoung in his children's storybook, The Biggest Story Ever, How the Snake Crusher brings us back to the garden. I'll read it for you in case you didn't see it before the service. He writes, At times it looked as if God wasn't going to keep His promise to Abraham. For one thing, it was about a 100 years before Abraham and his wife Sarah, who used to be called Sarah without the H, and a baby named Isaac, who thankfully was always called Isaac. And then when the baby grew into a boy, God told Abraham to kill him. Now that must have seemed like a not-so-funny way to make a great nation out of Abraham. But Abraham listened to God anyway. And at the last second, God gave Abraham a ram to sacrifice instead of his beloved son. You see, it's a story, he goes on to say, it was God's way of saying, I'll take care of the rescuing. Just trust me. There it is. You can go home. There it is, the biggest story ever told. What is impossible for humanity is not impossible with God. What might determine you and your story going forward doesn't have to be determinatively the product of your past or your relative's past. That's where we're going to go today as it brings us to Christ, the miraculous birth of Christ, which then converts our story into a new story without losing ourselves or our legacy, but again, transforming ourselves and our legacy. You could call it being born of the Spirit. That's really the story. That the, the Satan crusher, the one who would crush Sutton's age, which of course we'll discover is to crush all the evil in the world. All the curses that we, ex- we experience life with in the world. All of it is one born miraculously even as today you will be given the invitation to be reborn. Yes, miraculously. And then for the rest of your life, you are given a new story. One consistent with your old story, but one that's going to transform that story. That's the point of the sermon. Let's pray. And so God, be with us, waken us. Awaken us to the legacy of Christ as told through the legacies of births foreshadowed. Please come, Lord, and speak into our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so the biggest story ever told begins with what? It begins with a tragic fall of humanity. God's intervention with a promise and then a superimposed succession of birth narratives that will lead us to Christ I want to very quickly just give you a sketch of the big, biggest story in its entirety and then we'll go back and look at how Isaac fits perfectly into that pattern and so we start with the fall please don't yawn if you've been in church for a while like oh I've heard this before I want you to rediscover it as your story so it starts from the fall, the temptation by a serpent, and the tragic introduction into the world of evil and destruction. The significance of the encounter has often been lost. This was nothing less than the introduction of what some might call the anti-lord. In the version, in the vision of here, some call it a snake. Some would say it's more better interpreted the dragon. But whatever it is, it's the significant of an encounter of the first. Humans with the anti-Lord who had made them. And it's not adequate to apprehend this, though, as if seen only as something that is introduced in history as by the devil seeing it as an obstacle to our lives, though he certainly has come to do that. You see, it's bigger than that, much bigger. There was also this purposefulness about it. God is sovereign then as he is always. And the purpose of it and the initiative of God in this event, it was according to this wise decree that this creator, that, he, that his earthly servant, Adam and Eve, were subjected to the temptation by a superior evil intelligence. Think about what just happened. Humanity, though in a sense put on the defensive and exposed to Satan's attack, that's how we want to see it, is a defensive moment was at the same time being called to the opportunity for positive action and fulfillment of his historic vocation as humanity. Humanity was put on the earth to guard and to expand the kingdom of God. And God purposely brought the anti-kingdom, the anti-Lord, the anti-Eden, into his presence. It was his vocation to confront this anti-Lord, Adam with Eve. It was an occasion in which he might manifest God-like nature in the image of the one he was created by and play a crucial role in transacting the transcended a transaction that's transcended the earthly spheres and attached the history of heaven itself to it. In other words, from the vantage point of God's purpose, Satan's advent into Eden was lying, wonder, with all his lying wonders and all his deceivableness and of unrighteousness, it's seen as to be nothing less than a delivering over the devil to humanity for destruction." The destiny of humanity to judge angels, 1 Corinthians 6-2 and following, and on it goes, is not a later addendum to the story. It's how the story started. Our purpose and legacy was to crush evil. Now, Adam was to be the first and final snake crusher as it were, the Messiah-like figure, with the authority to execute judgment upon evil and thus the absence of the destruction that evil causes. This first Adam was made in the image of God, a judge between good and evil. And when the devil entered in the Edenic temple, what happened? In effect, setting himself forth as God, opposing and exalting himself above all, Adam was faced with a challenge. The purpose of his life kind of challenge that's who we are humanity that's where it all began the purpose of your work the purpose of you sleeping that you might wake up and go to work every day there is great theology on vocationalists not here but let me keep the story going we know what happened at the end of Genesis 3 Adam With his compliment, coworker Eve failed and all hell broke loose, all hell broke loose. But then came a promise, God intervened by an annunciation, proclamation. Coming, we don't know for sure. Maybe as a messenger in the Old Testament for the Lord to appear often is accompanied as by an angelic messenger or even a human messenger. But the Lord was in the presence of Adam and Eve. And this is what he promised. That I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, speaking this annunciation to Satan, I'm sorry, and you shall, bru- you shall bruise his heel. These words are, are a declaration of war if we haven't heard it before. It's a declaration of war, holy war, the war that Adam and Eve were called to fight When put into the Garden of Eden, and now we hear of one, the offspring of Eve, who would crush Satan's head. But how? This is notable. Three times in one sentence is the word offspring, some translations seed, of the woman. Three times. The woman becomes the focal point of a great battle with Satan. This Eve is now the focal point of the war, the heroine of this holy war. It's a Marvel series of, in, in classic proportions here, here with this fem, female heroine of sorts. Specifically, it is related to her power through a sp- special, special, succession of offspring, as by Eve's legacy of offspring will come the fatal blow to the head of Satan and all of evil with it. And about this word special, you see what are we looking at here? We're looking at none other than first the snake crusher will be of a unique birth. He will be the seed of a woman. It is implied by that very phrase that the deliverer will be of unique origin. Else why is he called the seed of a woman and not the seed of a man? You know your biology. I won't get graphic. Second, the snake crusher will be supernatural. He will defeat the dragon serpent. And the only one who has power beyond that of mere man can defeat him who is called the prince of the power of air. The story of divine presence to overlay the human story as to transform it by divine intervention. You see, to slay the dragon and to build the temple palace of this heavenly king that was intended for all of the creation, that was the pattern of the messianic mission of the Son of Man from the beginning. We should not be surprised now that we would find that pattern widely reflected in Scripture. Just to been forward for a minute many have wandered and marveled at some of the great declarations that surrounded Christ's death you think of mary and her magnificat and it and and you just go back and read it tonight <laughs> it is a declaration almost of war over and over and over again she speaks of this incredible child who is going to slay her enemies Over and over, it's about the enemies that are being destroyed. It's a holy war. You see why I get nervous about Christmas, how we sentimentalize things that are really so unbelievably powerful? We need to discover that. Back to the story. Genesis tells our story, you see. Our story. A story of a legacy through childbirth. It's going to lead us to the... To the dragon slayer. And third, the Messiah will be therefore human. You see, it is our story. There was a human being born of Eve, as this human is also Emmanuel, God with us. Distinct but never separate. God and human both. It's our story, but it's God's story intervening into our very essence of humanity. That's what Christmas is about, to fight a great war, a battle that needs to be fighting, that God's glory could be revealed. And third, this Messiah will be, well, I've already said it, and therefore the human race We must remember that this promise is only the beginning, though, of a long series of prophetic offsprings. A revelation unfolds, more information will come forth as to the Messiah's credentials. It's as if God is writing a story in history. It's a historically written story. Not mere words, but materiality. Did you hear it? He is socializing the world with the ideas, the enunciation, and the materiality or the materializations, the incarnations, the actions. Everything in the Bible now is socializing the world into the kingdom of God. Ideation, materialization. Ideas and prophecies and words with actions and events. That's why I'm a Christian. That's why I'm not another religion, right there. The only religion like this, I gotta go on. The legacy of the crusher of Satan's head then we know will go through the wife of Manoah and Samson. I'm just giving selective ones here about the ones we're doing. It's gonna go through Sarah and Isaac. It's gonna go through Rebecca, Isaac's wife and Jacob. It's going to go through Hannah and Samuel, dot, dot, dot. It's going to go through Mary to the successor himself, Christ. All with similar characteristics, all with the same theme, to crush Satan's head. You wonder why God chose Samson in the judges' era. And just don't miss this theme again of Mary's song. Over and over. So, back then to the climax of the story. This brings us to the very climax of the Holy War. I'm referencing, of course, Revelation. Let me read Revelation for you. And a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun, a woman clothed with the sun. With the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, in agony of giving birth. A description of the world, the church, Eve, the mother of the church, militant. The church militant. I'm so tired. Aren't you tired? I am tired of the militant. And this is where the people were that were reading this for the first time, written by John. They were tired. She gave birth into this desperate, barren situation. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron strength. But her child was caught up to God and to His throne." God on earth, distinct, not separate from humanity. And then where does it go from there? Let me keep reading. Now, war broke out in the heavens, chapter 12, verse seven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil, that is, Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now, finally now. Salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God and they have conquered conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death. Their story fulfilled. The legacy of Eve in all the childbirths culminating in Christ, transforming the church from the church militant willing to die for their faith in hopes by faith alone that they would in this Savior King conquer evil, all of it. You see, this story, if you start to identify with this story, Christian, you will be transformed by it. It will give you courage like you've never seen in your life. In fact, listen to how it would define us according to this story here in Revelations. For the last words of Revelations is John giving the sermon take home. He says, therefore, how are you going to respond to this story? He says, therefore, rejoice. He's talking to people who are suffering. He's talking to the church militant. They're fighting for their existence in this world. And he says, rejoice. The story, your story, you know the end. Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Live not like victims anymore. Live not like those who are nothing less but born to be warriors and who will be given the power by the Spirit. To crush the dragon's head. How would we do that? It says it plainly if you slow down and listen to it. It says, quote, by the blood of the Lamb, through your being justified by grace, through faith, having a new identity now as born anew as a child of God, you now become the new humanity by the intervention of the Spirit of God that gives birth to Christ and to all who would call upon them a new birth for you. And then secondly, by the word of their testimony, they don't shrink back. Not even when it costs them their life, they don't shrink back. That's what slays the devil. Not silence. Not hiding under all the other worldly warfares. But entering the spiritual warfare. The warfare that's fought not with flesh and blood, not with the ingenuity of politics or material or economics or military might. This is not that kind of a power. This spiritual power. No, our power is a new identity as Christians, born anew into Christ, justified by the blood of the Lamb, and who do not shrink back from giving word of testimony to the to the very. Satan Crusher himself, why would they do this? Because their story transformed them in a way where, quote, they loved not their lives. That is their earthly lives, their earthly possessions, their earthly fame, their earthly reputations, their earthly, earthly, earthly powers. They love not their lives anymore, even unto death. Mm. And that brings us to Isaac. You're going to be surprised how easy it is now to understand this story. Because we've already told his story. Let me just point it out briefly. We begin, I'll pick up with chapter 17. God said, no. What? No. No. ...to all the human ingenuity that you can craft it in order to get a concubine... ...in order to get uh, uh, Esau and, you know, or, or Ishmael. And, and No, 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 no. That's not how this is going to work, Abraham. You're not going to f- fight that fight this way. No. Here's the way it's going to work, Abraham. Take notes. Sarah, you know, your hundred-year-old wife. She shall bear you a son... And you will call him Isaac. For I will establish my covenant. What covenant is that? You know it now. CPC, you got it. You know the covenant. Chapter 3, enmity, all that. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring, singular, after him. Galatians says, now the promise was made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, into offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is the Christ, the Messiah, the second Adam. Note all offspring are somehow the beneficiary of Isaac. Isaac becomes the firstborn in a long succession history after the promise that's given to Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, and on we go. Notice, then, in that context, this, the resounding statement's going to be that this is impossible for humanity in their old story. It's only in this new story, transposed upon humanity, in, with, and through humanity, that humanity becomes the dragon slayer and so remember notice the parallels between all these nurse stories here again real quickly the annunciation the annunciation that is proclamation by an angel the Lord said now we don't know how did he come and say it he was there that's the point whether by a messenger or some cloud or something but there were words spoken and he said I will surely return to you about this time next year Sarah and, and I mean sorry, Abraham and Sarah your wife shall have a son and Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him and now Abraham and Sarah were old advanced in years the way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah yeah I know blah 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 this isn't Just a human story. It's a divine story imposed in, with, and through humanity. And then we come to the birth of Isaac and anticipates the miraculous conception of Christ. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, according to Hebrews 11, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, I love that little phrase. You know, you're picturing Abraham, you know, from a man who is as good as dead. We're born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And of course, there's the test of Abraham concerning Isaac, which anticipates the miraculous resurrection of Christ himself. Genesis 2:22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, "Abraham," and he said, "Here I am." He said, "Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah." And offer him there as a burnt offering, as one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Justification, here it comes. Remember what, what Revelation said? By faith in the blood of the Lamb, new identity, atonement. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and the son Isaac. Again, the commentator in Hebrews says, by faith Abraham was tested, offering up Isaac. Isaac who had received the promise was an act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, through Isaac your offspring shall be named. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, back to chapter 17, here I am, my son. And he said, Dad, behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide. God will provide for himself, the lamb, for a burnt offering, my son. We read that so quickly, thinking that he's saying to the son to his face, and little do you know that you're the one. Hebrews tells us something different. Hebrews tells us that by faith he considered God was able to even raise up his son. If in fact his son... Was that lamb? Of course, where are we looking here? We're looking at that moment in history where God killed Satan. That is evil, the death of death in Christ. Now we hear about this laughing, don't we? <laughs> You're wondering, what's going on there, Pastor? Yeah, both people. Abraham laughs and then Sarah laughs. Now, again, you got to let the Scripture tell you how to interpret this stuff. Slow down. Don't just import our own subjectivity of our laughing. No. Look at it. It says, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. There is nowhere in Scripture where falling on your face before the Lord is anything less than an, an absolute declaration and, and response by faith. Reverenting Submitting oneself to God. Can a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Can Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Yeah, there was a laugh. But perhaps it's a kind of, this is impossible laugh of humility. Really? Really? I mean, really? You're going to do this? Laugh. I probably didn't do that well. Calvin says this was a token, this laugh, not only of his reverence, but of his faith as he realized, he goes on to describe, that what God was promising was nothing short than impossible. And yet he believed anyway. That's the faith without sight kind of laugh. We see the same thing. How we see this same thing with Mary. Yes, she laughed. But again, I see it as like Abraham. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. And then the narrative exposes the impossibility of God's word if viewed from sight rather than by faith as expressed this time by Sarah. For like Abraham, she laughed. An indication of how it looked is from a human perspective. Which, of course, is going to set up the statement by God how what is impossible for man is not impossible for God. And evidently, according to the Hebrews... She believed. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she was considered with him who had promised, therefore from one man and him as good as dead, blah, blah, blah. I've read that. I'm sorry. There's just no room for doubt here, though. That Then it goes on to describe her as by faith she received the promise. So, let's close this sermon out. You've heard a story. I've just... i. We could get into the nitty-gritty details of the story of Isaac, but it's pretty simple that way. And you interpret it, I hope, with the, the story, the biggest story. Let me read again the biggest story ever told, as it is now contextualized. At times it looked as if God wasn't going to keep his promises to Abraham. Think about how that statement speaks to our history even now. For one thing, it was about 100 years before Abraham and his wife, Sarah, who used to be called Sarah. You know, no one believes this in my world. Are we the fools? Yeah, it's kind of like that. I mean, we're over 100 years now as a church, quote unquote. It's dying. The death of God, the death of Christianity, at least in the sentiments of our world. If not to merely be trivialized, which is worse, I'd take an atheist any day to a trivialized reaction to Christ. And you can go on. Our response is no longer to be determined. That's the take home. Christian, you cannot be determined and defined by the human side of your story any longer as a Christian but by the divine side of your story, if indeed you have been born again. A story that breaks into your human story to convert it into yet the biggest story ever told. Have you ever thought of yourself like that? That you could be one of those births by rebirth of the Holy Spirit that enters into the legacy of the biggest story ever told. Two births, you were born of a man and a woman that set into motion a story, each one of you. A story of your life where there is a circular cause effect that seems to determine the outcome that's unbreakable. In, in and into this ter- deterministic socialization as by the, 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 the revelation, if you will, you have by on earth, this cause effect dynamic binds you. You were born, though, as a Christian of God a new birth that sets into motion that transcends and defies even the story from the human point of view where you can become something that your story could not possibly imagine. Your story of old would laugh at you and say, that's bah humbug. The accuser, Satan, will attack you. What are the events? Think for a moment. What are the events that defines you? Yes, you will forever be impacted by those events. I think of my life, think of your life. I grew up, I had divorced parents, I could just go right through the list: my alcoholic father, my relocation from a desegregated school to a prep school to get out of desegregation. I flop that up, I get kicked out, I go back to desegregation schools. God transforms my life in that way, being caught not smoking pot in a no tolerance policy. That's my story. It goes on and on. And then I was born again. Human trajectory, God knows how that story would have continued. Think about your story right now. Your story started thousands of years ago. A people, wherever they migrated from into the United States, an identity. Think about what your identity is and how that identity can determine you. It's not that we reject that identity. Remember, God didn't get rid of man in the conception moment, humanity. Think about this now. Think. He didn't come and say, Mary, human, out of the picture. He didn't know your story. Your story is real. Your people are real. Your parents are real. The material and ideal things that causes you to be who you are are real, and you'll never get your head around it. And all the events that you can think of from your childhood up are real. With a kind of causal and then reciprocal cause, dialectical movement throughout your life. But perhaps God has bigger plans for you. It will be to transform maybe what is a bad event, or a bad history, or a series of bad events, or a whole life story that defines you in ways that are toxic, or even that same history, once the divine spirit enters into it, is a big story of rebirth. What was toxic now becomes occasion for rebirth, and now a new identity that overlays your old one, not to forget or negate the old story, but to transform it. You hear it. And this story, whatever your story, it's going to determine how you perceive things. It's going to determine who you understand yourself to be and in succession of. It's going to determine many of your decisions and actions. All of it, our stories, are more or less determinative. And the question is, is your story only your human story? For they will then be determined that way. But if you... By grace through faith, supernaturally, or given that faith, to now identify with and to partake in the biggest story ever told, you will be those described in Revelation 12. That powerful. I tell you, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, says Christ. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace in the world. And it's just an odd promise. He says, you will have peace, for in the world you'll have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. If just these two passages are true, then sleep well tonight. And get up tomorrow morning with your spiritual sword in hand and fight the good fight. And I've never felt it, so much as I feel it now, CPC, that we better fight for this place. Because it's not going to keep happening and existing. It's just not. If we all just start to drift away in the world of Zoom. We need to fight. We need to rediscover ourselves. We need to go to battle. Amen.